so generous. Uh, what an absolute blessing uh, that was. If you're joining us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, uh, we are in a series through the book of Exodus, and we're doing something a little bit different rather than just simply approaching the text to see what it says. Uh, we're looking for the echoes of Exodus throughout the text, meaning we're looking to see not where this story is, and you'll realize today we're going to enter the story of Moses, but we're not looking just at Moses' story. We're looking at how this story in Exodus, how it echoes both backwards and forwards throughout Scripture, and we're also trying to find uh, areas that these, this text will point us uh, to Jesus. I mean, what we're trying to do is find beautiful connections throughout the Scriptures, and I love, I love hearing it. Uh, I know Adam's standing in the back. But, uh, but our teenagers are getting these connections to Jesus. Uh, last, last week, I got done preaching, and Adam met me in the back, and he's like, hey, pastor, so I got this, got this connection. So you know how when Pharaoh uh, commanded all the babies in Egypt to be killed? He said that's exactly what happened when Herod commanded all the babies in Bethlehem to be killed when, when Jesus was born. And I said, that is awesome, Adam. I'm so glad that, that we're, we're thinking that way. And, and the truth that we need to take away from that is, hey, it doesn't matter if it's a pharaoh. It doesn't matter if it's a king. The purposes of God cannot be stopped by earthly rulers. Hey, you know what? That affects us today. Like, I, thought, I mean, we, we can complain all we want to about a balloon in the sky and whether the president was smart enough to, to knock it down or not. But here's the thing. That man sits in the hand of our God. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Do I want good things to happen around me? Absolutely. But I have a good God who's in control of everything. I, I, I'm okay. I'm okay. And you should be too. So we're in Exodus chapter number two. And, and what I think is so cool is that today we're getting to read about a baby dedication. <laughs> like we had our own dedication here and I didn't plan this out, but just following right along, we're going to get to watch a riverbank dedication as we go through the echoes of Exodus. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. Again, please, can you, can you approach the text more than just, what does it say? Approach the text saying, what does it connect to in the greater storyline of Scripture? Well, let's look with eyes and ears and hearts wide open. Ready? Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen, or that's tar, uh, bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. I'm going to pause right, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't go along with me by the reeds by the riverbank excuse me I, I, i'm, I'm going to pause right there and and just take these first three verses and right right here we're going to approach and we're going to go where's the echoes so before we begin we have to remember two things who's the author moses is writing kind of crazy he's writing about his own birth but we also have to remember when he's writing okay so moses is writing 80 years or more after he was born and what he's doing is he's writing an autobiography basically looking back across his life with all the knowledge that he has now and here's what he has he has the deliverance of the people 
from Egypt across the Red Sea through the wilderness. He has the, the, the Ten Commandments. He has, he has gone to the top of Mount Sinai, received the Ten Commandments from the Lord, and he's also received all the instructions about the temple, about sacrifices, and about the priestly duties. That is all the things that Moses has gained, and now he's going to start writing his story, and notice what he starts with. A man from the house of Levi took as, a, to, took as his wife a Levite woman, let me tell you something. You know what Moses is saying? My parents are Levites. But here's the thing. When Moses was born, that wouldn't have meant anything. Because it wasn't until much later where God would tell Moses the Levite clan would become the priests of Israel. What does a priest do? Well, a priest stands between God and man and here so you got to see what moses is doing moses is 80 years later looking back on his life and he's saying before there was a levitical priesthood my parents stood as priests between god and man making an offering and a prayer like to me that is huge that he wants us to realize who his parents were. And his parents had no idea that when they put that baby in, the, in this river and pushed that basket away, that their child would grow up to become an amazing priest who would go on many times standing between God and man, would go to the top of a mountain and get to meet God, would get to lead God's people right up to the place that God had prepared. His parents had no clue all they knew is we were making an offering and we were making a prayer trusting the greatest treasure we had to the lord and hey that is exactly what you and i get to do every single day of our life because we may not be levites but we are priests the apostle peter the apostle john makes it very clear we have access to god as priests of god which means every day Day, you are given the privilege to stand before God as priests on behalf of others. Parents, you don't have to wait until your kids get in trouble before you go to God on their behalf. Every day you can approach Cassie and Jordan with that small little child, Hudson. He's gonna, he's probably gonna, you know poop some diapers and make some messes, but he's not going to live with that rebellious spirit quite yet. But you can be praying now for God to reel that heart into him and that one day, very soon, that he will be able to recognize who Jesus truly is. We can go to God on behalf of others right now. Are you praying for your families? I was, I was nearly 20. I, we, my wife and I weren't quite married. My dad had a retirement party where he was going to stop working and had spent his entire life building bridges and roads. And at this party, we gathered and we all told our dads, my dad something that we were very thankful for that he had done in his life. And if you would have asked me in that moment, did my parents pray for me? I would have said, I'm sure they do, probably. I'm sure they do. But it was at that retirement party where we were sitting at a table and my dad said, hey, I, I, I've really never told you all this, but let me, let me tell you kind of what I did every day 
He said, I always left home early because I wanted to get through the Chicago traffic. And he said, I'd get to the, get to the job site before, before anybody else was there. And he'd say, I'd, I'd park the car, I'd park, park my truck. And after parking the truck, I'd turn the radio on to WBBM News Radio 78. And I'd listen to the news. And he said, while I was doing that, I'd reach into my lunchbox and I'd pull out an apple. And I would eat this apple while I was listening to the news. And when I got done eating my apple, I'd put my apple back down in the lunchbox. I'd turn my radio off and I would spend the time in my truck until people got to the job to start working. I would spend the time in my truck praying for our family. I, I cannot even begin to tell you how that moved me. That for 19 years, I did not know that my dad was leaving every day and getting to his job. And while he was there waiting in the darkness of the, of the morning, waiting for the job to get started, he was turning the radio off. He was shutting everything around him off. And he was just simply praying for God to do what God does in our family. And I, and I began to wonder, I wonder how many different days would I have done my own thing how many different days would I have struggled into sin that maybe my dad's prayers were reeling my heart back in and God's good graces were protecting me because of his prayers I hope I hope moms and dads I hope grandmas and grandpas that you are not just taking your day and just ignoring the privilege we have of being priests of God. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I feel the same way sometimes. Don't even worry about it. You know what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go on to number two. Verse two says, the woman conceived. So, so here's... Uh, Here's Moses realizing he's talking about his, his mom and dad, his Levites, and he says, the woman conceived a bore son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. Now remember, the author is Moses. He's describing himself. You notice what word he uses. He's a fine child. Uh, you and I would not make this connection in an English Bible, but Moses would have. Because Moses wrote Genesis, and Moses is now writing Exodus, and Moses takes the Hebrew word for child, or for fine, which is good, and he uses that Hebrew word and no doubt what would have been echoing in his mind to know that my mother thought I was a good Child, and he would have connected that to what he had written in Genesis when he got when the Lord wrote that God finished his creation and looked upon all he had made and he saw that it was good. The good creation of God in Genesis is the same word that we find for the good creation of Moses here in Exodus. There's no way Moses would have known that his mother had looked at him as a good, godly creation had he not been told that. Hey, moms and dads, we have got to make sure we are, we are sharing with our, with our children and our grandchildren that they are a creation of God and they are not good because of their last name. They are not good because of their heritage. They are good because they were made in the image of God. He was a good child made in the image of God. 
Man, I encourage you, parents. It's going to be a wonderful day in your life when you release the pressure from trying to make your children good. You do not have that control over their heart. You can't make them good, but you can point them to the one who will make them righteous. Romans 3 tells us that there is none good, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 that we sang about in the gospel tells us that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we, the sinner, might become the perfect righteousness of God. We're not good on our own. We're made in a good image, but we rebel. But when we turn to Jesus, he makes us righteous. Giving our kids everything they want is not going to make them good. It may stop them from complaining, which is really nice at times, but it, it's not going to make them good. Our calling is not to make our kids good. It is to introduce them to the one who can. And I think as we sing like this song of the gospel, boy, that last song it excited my heart so much. It's on one of, my, one of the playlists that I listen to regularly. I love those words of describing the gospel, the good news, because it, it, it's, it's when we understand what God has done for our children that will move our hearts to trust God with our children. It's only when our hearts are moved to see what a good and gracious God you are that we can say because you are so good and gracious and I have seen it I will give you my greatest treasure which is what Moses's mother did here I was having a conversation with Renee on a Thursday or Friday in the in the office of the church Jim, your mom has been in the hospital and so been making visits with her. And I know that your family has been caring for her uh, so well and so kindly and continue to pray for Miss Barbara. And, and I was telling Renee, I said, you know what's really hard for me? Is to know my 93-year-old dad and my, my much younger mother. Please, I almost said her age. That would be a bad thing. My much, much younger mother. Uh, I, can't, I can't care for them. I, forgive me for the word, but I'm stuck here. I want to care for my... I have an obligation to care for my parents. And I, and I remember, and I told her, I said, the thing is, I know this is where God wants me. I know it is. And all it did is it rushed me back to the conversation that I had, and I could tell you, I could see that, I could picture the floor, I could picture where my dad and mom were standing and where I was standing in their kitchen on the day that I walked in to tell them our family is moving to Virginia. I've seen my dad cry less than five times in his life. He got big tears in his eyes. And he didn't say anything for a bit. And then he looked at me and said, I don't want you to go, but you need to be where God wants you to be. How does dad say that? Because he trusts God. With his adult child, yes, I was, I was 41 years old and my dad, I have to trust the plan of God for my children, no matter what their age is. But I can trust the plan of God because he has proven himself so good. Go on to verse three. It says, when she could hide him no longer, so she's looking at this good creation, 
And she being a Levite, bringing this offering, she could hide him no longer. She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen, or that's tar, and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. So this priest, this Levite priest is making, making the sacrifice and lifting the prayers. And boy, did you notice how this sacrifice was made? This, this has got to ring some connections to you. It, it's a wooden structure with tar, covered in tar, and it's going to be floating on water in order to save the one inside. Yeah. I mean, I know every one of you are saying, oh, yeah, that's, that's Noah's Ark, right? Exactly, Noah's Ark. And, and the thing is, Moses, when he writes the word basket, which is what his mother puts him in, is the same Hebrew word, and it's only used twice in the Bible, the same Hebrew word that is describing Noah's Ark. Ha! So he's writing this word basket in Hebrew, and he cannot help but think this is Noah's Ark. And so he's picturing what, what's, what's happening here. Pharaoh was using the backs of God's people to build his treasured cities, to build his storehouses so that he could put more gold and more silver into. And while Pharaoh was building the treasured cities, Moses is picturing his mother taking some twigs and binding some wood together and covering it in tar and then placing him inside and at a riverbank lifting a prayer and saying is yours and pharaoh has no idea that that insignificant thinking or that that seemingly insignificant work of binding some weeds and leaves together and some 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 twigs together that small work is going to bring his kingdom to the ground I know it's very difficult for you to think of the work you're doing with your children and the work you're doing with your grandchildren when you sit down with them and just spend time with them. It may seem so insignificant if we compare it to the great careers people are building and the great portfolios and, and wealth, masses of wealth that they're building and all the gold that they're pushing in. And you look and you just say, I'm just sitting here in a rocking chair with, with this child. or I'm just sitting here at a kitchen table with my family. Family, but hey, I want you to know this seemingly insignificant work is a great work because it's about a great God. And those who are building the kingdoms of this world are their own gods. And it will come crashing down. And your work that you're doing in raising a family Cassie, you taking that, that little simple booklet that's only a couple of pages long, but it tells the story of the, the gospel, and you reading that to Hudson over and over and over is a greater work than any amount of mass, any amount of wealth that you could ever accumulate. And Tessie, when you open up that book and the, read the gospel, the, the storybook of, of Jesus to your children, and, and they get to see, and this is Jesus in the story of Abraham, and this is Jesus in the story of Joseph. Oh, that work is far greater than any person who walks out their home and puts a lot of money into their bank account because your work is connected to a great God. 
And every time, moms and dads, every time, grandmas and grandpas, anytime you can shut that TV off, and I know this is so cruel, but anytime you could take that device away and say, let's talk about Jesus, that's the greatest work you're going to accomplish that day because it's an eternal work. I, 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 I hesitate to use my family, and I hate doing this because I feel like I, I talk about them regularly, and they're going to stop talking to me uh, when I share with that. But like, I, I walked into to Trinity's room this week and asked her a question. She's sitting there, and she's got her Bible open, and she's like, Dad, Dad. All right, what? I'm reading. I started Genesis again. Dad, Abel. Abel was a shepherd. Jesus was a shepherd. Abel had made an acceptable sacrifice. Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice. That Abel was killed by his brother. Jesus was killed by his brothers. You know, I've spent a lot of time with her on sports. I've spent a lot of time with her, you know, trying to invest in her life in, in, in different ways, maybe academics. My wife has spent 20 times the amount of time with Trinity that I'm sure that I have investing in that girl's life. But I will tell you this, there's not a goal she has ever scored. There's not a trophy she has ever won. There's not a certificate she has ever come home with that has made me, that made me as proud as walking out of her bedroom that day when I thought my daughter is making connections about Jesus. Yes. Because the athletic careers come to an end, right? They do. I hate it, but they do. You should have seen me in high school. No. But the work for Jesus, it just goes on and on and on. So let, 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 me, let me finish up just these, and I won't take this. I'm not going to go through each verse here, but let me, let me kind of read the rest of, of Moses' story. Verse 4 says, And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman, women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it and when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And I'm not going to go into the details of, of what we just read other than Moses is found and Pharaoh's daughter takes him and says, I want this child for my own. And Moses' sister says, I could find you a nurse. And she brings Moses' mother. Moses' mother gets to take Moses home and raise him. And we'll get to that, the rest of that next week. But there's such cool connections here. I just want, I'm going to share them and we'll, we'll just kind of close with just one more thought. I think it's cool that Miriam's sister watched Moses 
float through this river of reeds and then she goes to Pharaoh's daughter after seeing the way God had delivered her, her brother and she, she, she runs home to her mother to say the great news of God's deliverance. She's the same one that just a couple chapters, uh, in just a couple of chapters in Exodus, she'll watch her brother walk a people of God through a sea and she's going to get on the other side and in celebration of God's deliverance of all their people, she's gonna break out into a song of praise of the good news of God's deliverance. I think that's so cool. I think it's cool that Pharaoh's daughter heard the cry of Moses and had compassion on him because that's just pointing us forward to the end of chapter two when God hears the cry of the people and he has compassion on them. That just points us to Psalm chapter 40 and I'm gonna read you just these verses. David, the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song. Ha! That's what Miriam did. She's about to sing. Put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Man, I just love those. Moses' mother gives her baby up to the Lord and she, she's amazed at what she gets in return. Not only does she get her son back, but she gets paid to raise him. Probably doesn't have to go through the suffering of so many of the people of Israel because she's now raising the child of the princess. I mean, that, that, is just, that has got to move our hearts to realize it is far greater to live like this with the Lord, open-handed than closed-fisted because he will not just take what you offer, but will return far more than you could ever gain by holding it to yourself. And then the very end, Moses' name, Pharaoh's daughter, names him Moses because she says she drew him out of the water. Oh, but she doesn't know. She doesn't know as she delivers this baby out of the water, she's actually condemning her own people in a few chapters to drown in the water out of the water for God's people into the water for God's enemy. But here's, what's what I want, here's the one thing I wanted to highlight as we close. Moses' adoption by Pharaoh's daughter immediately changed his status from condemned slave to royalty sitting at the table of the king. <laughs> That's a really cool connection. Like, we cannot miss Jesus. Moses moved from a slave to a prince, and he did nothing. It was the wicked decree of Pharaoh. It was his mother making a basket. It was his sister making a plea for help. It was Pharaoh's daughter bringing him out of the water. It was his mother's raising him, and it was God's sovereignty over his life the entire time that moved Moses from being a slave condemned to a prince at the table of the king. We, we do nothing to enjoy that same transformation. Ephesians tell us, Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our sin. We were dead in our sin. 
Romans tells us we are slaves to our sin. But in a moment, through no work of our own, we are freed from sin and we are brought into the family of God. And you say, wow, this is so awesome. Like, see, what we're getting to picture is that when Moses' mother places her baby into that basket and that baby is moved from, from, from slave to, to prince through no work of his own, we're watching as God lowers his son into a wooden manger with swaddling clothes and his work is going to make it possible for every person who places their trust in the person of Jesus and in the work of Jesus to move from slave to son without doing a thing for ourselves. Our adoption into the family of God immediately changes our status from that of condemned slave to that of royalty. And our work has nothing to do with it. I love sitting with people and asking them a simple question. Hey, if God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven and ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? Most of the time, people say, try to be a good person. And I think that's so wonderful. We should try to be good people. But try as hard as you want, and you will not find one verse in this Bible that says good people go to heaven. What you will find is that in this Bible is that Romans 3 says there's none good. There's none righteous. But what this Bible tells us is that God sent a son. And he wasn't, he wasn't saved by the hands of, of a woman or he wasn't saved by the hands of man. He was slaughtered by the hands of man. He lived a perfect life and he tried to show love and he was returned to hate. He tried to show acceptance and he was rejected. He tried to show the way to God and he was taken the way of the cross. But as the verse we've already used, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made Jesus, him who knew no sin, to become sin for us. That's what we had to have. I can't get rid of my sin. I can do as much good as I want, but I can't get rid of my sin. And it's my sin that separates me from God, not how much good I've done. It's my sin that separates me from God, not how much or how little good. This good can be up or down. This isn't what keeps me from God. It's my sin that keeps me from God. And I need my sin removed. And I can't do that. I, I can work as hard as I want. I can never remove my sin. But he has worked at that cross to remove all of my sin. His work. And then, in an amazing way of grace, this Pharaoh's daughter didn't replace her position with Moses. She just said, um, I, 
I'll bring you into my house. Jesus actually gives us his righteousness and gives us his place. Wow. What a God. And all it takes is for people to understand I'm a sinner and it's my sin that keeps me from God, but that I believe that Jesus is truly the deliverer God sent and he went to the cross and he went to the cross to take away my sin and he went to the cross so that he could give me his perfect righteousness and I could stand before the Father complete because of Jesus and move from being a slave to a son. And if you're here today and you've never made that transition, oh, please don't leave today without doing so. I'll be at the back door. I'll actually be standing down here in the, while, we, while we sing our, our final song. And I would love to share with you how you can know the good news of Jesus. Let me just read this with you. If you do know who Christ is and you do know that transformation of being moved from slave to son, would you please read the word of God daily and then believe in the promises they will come to pass? Would you recognize the goodness of God and allow his goodness to lead you to greater trust? And would you rejoice in the completed work of God and partner in the ongoing work for God? He worked for us, not so that we would be his slaves to work for him, but he worked for us and he invites us to a partnership with him in all that he's accomplishing here on this world. Would you pray with me? And then Aaron, could we sing that final song that there is one gospel? I think that would be awesome. That was such a, such a beautiful song.